now playing an insane tale of a master manipulator child predator who torments a young girl and her family in the 2017 shock doc abducted in plain sight Welcome to Reality Tiki. I'm Melissa Merlot, and I'm back. It has been a while since I've recorded anything, and I do apologize for that. It's just my bad timing, you know. I thought doing a podcast about propaganda was a great idea. Talk about the influence the media has on all of us. Sure, let's do it. Then 2020 happened, and it turned out to be such a shit show. And propaganda and the influence of the media became such controversial topics. I just decided not to address the things I was planning on addressing. But I'll still do that in future episodes. Because <laughs> propaganda is still around. It's still everywhere. The media does still have an influence on us. So I'm going to keep talking about that stuff. But today, we're just going to talk about a documentary. A crazy insane, very honest documentary about a master manipulator and the people he enchanted with his bullshit. Abducted in Plain Sight is the horrifically true story of a young girl who is kidnapped by a close family friend. And it's available to watch on Netflix, and I suggest that you do. Because, of course, spoilers ahead. When people started recommending this movie to me from the title, I thought it was about aliens. Because I love alien stories. And I guess it does kind of have aliens in it. Yeah, that's the aliens. This story is bonkers, you guys. And don't worry, we will get to the aliens. Okay, I picked this movie because I really wanted to focus on movies that portray abuse as it actually happens. It's usually a slow burn. It's never instant. It requires a lot of grooming and manipulation to kind of set the stage for the abuser to take control. And I think a lot of times in Hollywood, with the portrayal of abuse, the character is usually someone that you can see coming a mile away. They're really scary looking or creepy, just all around kind of sketch. And you know, there's something up with that. You know, that's the bad guy. And in real life, the bad guys aren't that easy to identify. A lot of the times they're usually very charismatic people. They're people everyone likes. They're high up in schools or churches or maybe politics and you just wouldn't expect it you know that's one thing abusers are great with uh, especially 
master manipulators like we're going to see in the film today. But they're so good at keeping up appearances because they kind of rely on it so they can pull off their horrible crap that they do to other people. Because they kind of rely on people being like, oh no, that's, I couldn't see them do that. that. They're always so nice to me. I think they're a good person. There's no way they could be capable of something like that. They're kind of always building up an alibi with strangers even. They just have to put on this facade so they can manipulate people and come across as, as the good guy. But anyway, in today's film, it's just so honest. And I do love the family for sharing their story because I think it's going to help a lot of people. Because it's just so real and it shows what can happen when this master manipulator enters your life on such a personal level and disrupts everything. And it is a crazy story. So trigger warnings. It does deal with child sex abuse, which I'm definitely not going to go into any details of. And the parents make a lot of crazy choices in this film. If you've already watched it, you know what I mean. But it's all kind of shows just how much of an abuser B, our bad guy from the film, is. And I'm pretty sure he's a narcissist because they never show remorse for anything they do. They will justify being as horrible as they possibly can and feel no empathy towards their victims ever. And that's what B is like. But we'll go into it. I do appreciate this documentary because, like I said, it's just such an honest portrayal. And whoo, it's a doozy. It is a doozy but I'm very glad that they chose to share their story and they're not the only family that this bee guy tormented let's get to the movie so the movie starts out with B, who is the master manipulator, the abuser, the kidnapper of the movie. His name is Robert Birchtold, but his nickname is B, so everyone calls him B. So it starts out with B talking about Jan. And Jan is the girl he's obsessed with, the little girl that he will be kidnapping. It just starts out with him talking about how beautiful she is, how wonderful she is, and shows some pictures he took of her. And then we meet her family. So Jan's family is actually very sweet. They're the Brobergs. Bob and Marianne are her dad and mom. And she has two sisters. Jan's the oldest. Karen's the middle and Susan's the youngest and they're all really close they live in Pocatello, Idaho on a street where nobody locks their doors and the mom meets Robert Birchtold at church 
and they become friendly. The families meet each other. They really like each other. And one day, the Brobergs come home and they find a fruit basket on their porch with a note that says, We sure enjoy your family. And that fruit basket was from Birchtold B and his family. So that's all very sweet. And they start doing things together. That's what I mean by like they blended their families together. They they got to know each other and trust each other and all that great stuff. And then Jan goes missing. All right, so how the abduction occurs is B wants to take Jan to ride horses, but it happens to be on a school night and Jan has a piano lesson. So B talks to Marianne, Jan's mom, and says he'll just pick her up from piano and take her out to ride horses. Marianne says that's fine, have her back before dinner, and then they don't come back before dinner. And it gets later, they're still not there, and then Gail, who is B's wife, comes over to Jan's house, says she hasn't heard from B and she's worried, and Marianne's like, well, maybe we should call the police, and Gail is like, no, no, I'm sure he'll be back, it'll be fine. This is a Thursday night. And they don't notify the authorities because they don't want to make a fuss. And then Friday happens and they're still not back. They still don't call the authorities because they don't want to make a fuss. This is how much they trust B. They're sure he didn't kidnap her, thinking maybe something happened to their car and they just got to get back somehow. I don't know what they were thinking. But anyway, they don't call Friday either. Saturday morning they try to call, but the office is closed because it's a weekend. And there's an emergency number to call, but they don't want to do that because they don't want to make a fuss. And they still trust B and they don't think anything bad has happened. Sunday comes around. They're still not back. Then they say, okay, if they're not back all day Sunday, we'll call Monday. Oh my god, that's five days and your daughter is missing and you haven't notified the authorities yet. What? But that just shows how good B is. And B also has his wife in his corner, Gail, who's like, oh no, I'm sure it's fine. Even though she came over there worried. So Monday, they contact the FBI. A local FBI agent in Pocatello, Idaho, looks into the case goes and talks to Gail, B's wife. Gail says they have a storage unit with a motorhome. The FBI go to the storage unit. Motorhome's missing! That's a big clue right there. Then the FBI get notified that there's an abandoned vehicle and it's B's car. And the window, the driver's window, is broken with blood on the door. And it's broken from the inside out. And the FBI think that's kind of weird because if it was a kidnapping or something, it would be broken from the outside in. 
that's kind of showing that B is just creating a narrative. And then they see footsteps or footprints, not footsteps. Aha! So they see footprints that lead to another vehicle with big tire tracks, probably a motorhome. So most likely, he drove his car to where he left the motorhome so they could get away in the motorhome and then abandoned the car and staged what looked like a kidnapping. So this is our first glimpse of how big of a liar B is and how far he will go to keep his lie going. A narcissistic abuser will create a false reality for you to live in. Let me say that again. A narcissistic abuser will create a false reality for you to live in. And that's exactly what B is doing. He's doing it to Jan and he's also done it to her whole family. And his family too, because he's married with kids as well. So now the FBI know this is a kidnapping. They know B has her. They just don't know where he is. And this all happens in the 70s, so there's no internet connecting the states or anything. So they issue an APB and they make it a nationwide hunt for the two of them. They also notify the borders of Mexico and Canada in case they skipped the states. So the search for Jan goes on for weeks. Weeks turn into months. And the community really comes together and starts supporting the Brobergs. And there's a lot of, I can't believe B did this. He's such a great guy. Because, of course, he's big with the church and he goes there every Sunday. So people can't believe he'd do bad things. It's an LDS church, by the way. Not that that matters. It's all just part of the facade he's putting up so people will think he's a good guy. And then we learn more about the history of the Brobergs and B. Way before she was kidnapped, Jan and her sister Karen shared a bedroom, and B offered to build a wall in the middle of the room so they'd each have their own separate bedrooms. So which is kind of symbolic for what abusers do, because they like to isolate their victims. So they always try to separate their victims from their friends and family as much as possible. And he's building a wall to give Jan her own bedroom. Which later on we find out he's going to use this as part of his therapy that was prescribed to him to sleep in the bed with Jan while listening to these extremely strange audio tapes. Almost like meditation tapes, but very sketchy. It plays some of them in the film, and it's strange stuff. But the Brobergs let him, because it's part of his therapy, so... They think they're helping by allowing him to sleep in the bed with their daughter, in the separate bedroom that he built for their daughter. Lots of red flags going on there!
Then we learn about the history he has with Jan's parents. Of course he's an abuser, so he's got eyes on the prize. He'll eliminate anything in his way to get to Jan. So he's got to start with the parents. Two years prior to her kidnapping, he started working on Marianne, Jane's mom. He'd just randomly call her while he was at work and she was home during the day. And he'd ask her, hey, I'm hungry, bring me a sandwich. And she'd do it. I mean, that's pretty innocent. But then she'd take him the sandwich and he'd compliment her and make her feel good about herself. So he was kind of grooming her a little bit. Then they go to some church function out of state. And it's just them. Things start to happen. They start kissing. Maybe a little bit more than kissing. And then they drive back home. Don't talk about it, but she knows it happened. And this is just him using his charm to get to her. And then he does it with Bob, Jan's dad. In a very, very strange kind of way. And this is the part in the movie that blew my mind. Anyway, I'll let him talk about it. One day, he came in the store and I could tell that he was extremely disturbed. He says, are you free? Let's go for a ride. He says, I I cannot stand my wife. I, I need to have sex. I could see that he, he was sexually aroused. He says, oh, can you give me some relief? We were laughing and he said, oh, Bob, it's just kid stuff. And I've got to have relief. So I was dumb enough to reach over and relieve, relieve him in an act of masturbation. did not why would you do that that's so bizarre and b even says hey this is kid stuff i mean hello he's pretty much telling you he's a pedophile by saying it's kid stuff to jerk him off yeah told you this was a crazy story and things are just gonna get a lot crazier from here on out so i suggest getting a drink if you can from the Realitiki Bar, I am having a lovely glass of Sebastiani Cabernet. I like a good Cabernet, even though I usually do prefer Merlot. I pretty much like all red wines. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Okay, so we know that B seduced Jan's parents. Let's get to the false reality he's created for Jan. So when he kidnapped her the first time, that's right, it's coming up. So when he kidnapped her, he gave her a sleeping pill 
So she'd just be passed out while he did the whole staging a kidnapping with his car and the broken window and transferring her to the motorhome. So when she wakes up in the motorhome, he's got a tape he made for her and he created her kidnappers that are really aliens because they have a special mission for her because she's part alien. So she has to have a baby with the male companion, who of course is B, trying to make it look like the aliens kidnapped both of them in a motorhome like aliens do. But she's 12 years old. I mean, of course she falls for it. This is just showing how far B will go for a lie and how much of a master manipulator he is. He's created his own alien abduction story just to cover for his own perversion. the sensation that I was moving but I was laying on a bed my wrists and my ankles both had straps around them I couldn't move this monotone voice kept talking in my ear it looked like a little white intercom looking box that I could I could see to the side of my pillow and I immediately thought I'd been kidnapped by a UFO. So Jan got her instructions for the mission from the aliens, and she 100% bought it. In reality, B was taking her to Mexico to get married because you only have to be 12 years old to get married in Mexico. And so that's what they did. And he kept her in Mexico in the motorhome, working on completing the mission for about a month. And then he calls his brother Joe and says, Hey, Joe, you need to call Marianne, Jan's mom, and tell her to give written permission for B and Jan to be married so they can return to the States. Of course, B's brother Joe knows he's full of shit and a pedophile, so he calls the police and has the police tap his phone. And the cops find the motorhome in Mexico and they show up and arrest B. And then Jan's parents fly to Mexico to get her. And of course she's happy to see her parents, but she's still so worried about what's going to happen to B. And before B gets taken away, he tells Jan that he talked to the aliens. Their names are Zeta and Zethra, by the way. Very creative. Apparently alien names always start with Zs or Xs. And they said that Jan could not speak of the mission to her parents or anyone she knows 
or else her sister Karen will go blind and they'll take her sister Susan and they'll remove her dad, which means killing her dad. And of course, Jan is totally on board and believes the alien story and the mission. So she's gonna follow the orders. But because of this, it kind of creates a divide where she starts to detach from her family because she thinks she's part alien. And she thinks she's responsible for having this alien baby that's going to save this alien race. This is how much of a manipulator B is. And shame on him for all the horrible stuff he's doing to Jan. I mean, aside from anything physical, he kidnapped her and he's completely twisting her mind. He's an evil, evil, terrible person. So B comes back to the States and he's awaiting trial. And Gail goes and visits the Brobergs and she asks to talk to Bob privately. And she tells them they need to sign an affidavit saying that they gave B permission to take Jan so he won't get charged with kidnapping or anything. And if they don't sign that, then they're going to expose the relationship that Bob had with B that one time, you know, in the car. So they're basically blackmailing the Brobergs to get all charges removed from B. And it works, and the Brobergs do it. They sign the affidavit, and B goes free. The FBI did advise the Brobergs to not be in contact with B or his family at all. They didn't listen to that. And B did move out of Pocatello, Idaho. He moved to Ogden, Utah to work for his brother at a car dealership. And go figure, B was an excellent salesman, as most manipulators are. But he'd still go back to Pocatello on the weekends, so he could go to church, keeping up that appearance of being a good person. And he'd also sneak into Jan's bedroom still, with his little tape recorder with his alien voices on it. So she could hear what the mission was going to be and he'd be there, she'd be awake and he'd talk to her about how they were still going to complete the mission and the aliens wanted them to be together and remember they were blackmailing, or B was blackmailing the dad because of the car incident but B was also now going after the mom very aggressively having her come to Utah to see him, discussing how interested he was in her and that she should just get divorced and be with B. Oh, by the way, B's wife was in Idaho. They were kind of separated. But does it even matter? He's just an abusive manipulator. Anyway, so he was trying to get Mary Ann to divorce Bob so she could marry B. And then, of course, if Marianne was with B, he would have access to Jan all the time because it's her daughter. Again, this is his eyes on the prize strategy. God, he's just so evil. So, 
Marianne has an affair with B for eight months. This is the guy who kidnapped your daughter and you're having an affair with him. Anyway, she's not trying to divorce her husband fast enough or tell him about the affair or all that. So B decides to tell her husband about it. So B calls Bob and says, hey, I've been having an affair with your wife. And Bob actually figures out, okay, he's not after my wife. He's really just after getting closer to Jan, which, correct, he's right. Thankfully, Bob and Marianne do not get divorced. They realize they want to be together. They know that B is this bad influence. And, I mean, he's tearing this family apart just to get to Jan. He's destroying an entire family just for his own perversion. And the parents don't even know about the bizarro alien mission. This guy is so sick. But master manipulators, that's what they do. They spend their entire life manipulating and trying to figure out how to perfect their manipulation skills. out of Pocatello, Idaho entirely and away from Ogden, Utah and goes to Jackson Hole, Wyoming where he opens a family fun center. Isn't that great? This pedophile is now running a family fun center. He tells Jan about it and so of course Jan really wants to go work there. That sounds super fun. And so she's throwing fits every day, trying to get her parents to let her go move to Jackson Hole, Wyoming with the guy who's kidnapped her and had an affair with her mom and blackmailed her dad. And is just an all around creep. But in Jan's mind, he's the male companion to the alien mission that she needs to complete or else the aliens will come after her family. This is so twisted. Jan's mom, Marianne, decides that Jan's just going to go any way she can because she's just so obsessed with getting there. Jan will probably start hitchhiking. So Marianne decides, hey, best solution, let's put her on a plane and send her to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Right into the arms of B. And that's what she does. And her husband Bob is like, that's a bad idea. But it happens. So they just send her off to her kidnapper. After staying with B for a few weeks in Wyoming and working at his family fun center, Jan does go back home. But she doesn't want to be at home. She wants to be with B. Because she's under all this stress. Because she 100% believes she has to complete this alien mission. The false reality that B has created for her. And if she doesn't complete this mission, horrible things will happen to her family. And now Earth will be obliterated. Because they have to produce this alien baby, I guess, to save Earth? I'm not really sure. 
I don't understand his false reality. But anyway, Jan believes it, thinks it's real. This is what abusers do. They're such good liars. So she just wants to be with B. B is calling her family and threatening, saying they'll never see her again. He's going to be with her no matter what. There's nothing they can do. And this leads to her second kidnapping. All right, for this time, this kidnapping of Jan's, she just runs off. At night, she leaves. The next morning, she's not there. She leaves a note saying, you won't let me be with B, so I'm just going to go off. And now, the false reality that B is creating for her family is that he doesn't know where she is either. And he's just as worried as they are, if not more so, because he's in love with her still and still wants to marry her. So he's constantly calling her family to check in, see if they've heard from her. And then he calls when he's heard from her and updates them and continuously tells them how much he still wants to marry their daughter. She's like 14 or 13 at the time. I mean, this is all just so sick. It's like two years after her first kidnapping. But of course, he claims he has nothing to do with it. At the time, he's living in Salt Lake City, Utah, in his motorhome. And the cops go to his motorhome. They keep it under surveillance. They do go in and search through it. He claims he has not seen her at all. Doesn't know where she is. He's heard from her, but she won't state her location. And when they search his motorhome, he does have a shrine to her with all her pictures. But of course, the cops know that he knows exactly where she is. They just can't figure it out or get him to tell them. Actual good police work. They're observing B's motorhome in Salt Lake City, Utah. They see him go to a payphone at a gas station. And they go to the payphone after he uses it and see that there's a number in the phone book that's open or written down. I can't remember. Anyway, so they realize that's the number he called. They call the number. It turns out to be a Catholic girls school in Pasadena, California, which is where he enrolled Jan under a fake name and B claimed that he was actually her father. And he was in the CIA and they had just escaped Lebanon where her mother was killed. So he had to put her in hiding in this Catholic boarding school. And that way he created the false reality for the nuns of the school. So if anybody came looking for her, they would know that they're the bad guys. And he's the CIA agent, so he's obviously the good guy. So they have to protect him and they have to protect Jan's identity. But thankfully, the FBI got through to the boarding school and they figured it out. And B was arrested again and brought back to Pocatello. And they flew Jan back home to Pocatello to her family. And of course, Jan was not happy to be at home because she still hasn't completed the alien mission. And if she doesn't complete the alien mission, the world's going to explode or something. 
Oh, and by the way, she has to complete the alien mission by the time she turns 16. Because obviously it's time sensitive. Because B is a friggin' pedophile and she's going to age out of his interest then. So Bob Roberg, Jan's father, was a florist in Pocatello. And after B was arrested, you know, for kidnapping, the second time, Bob's business burned down. His flower shop. Turns out, it was B's fault. B told two guys he met in jail that if they burned down this flower shop, he'd give them $1,000 a month, and they did it. But B got away with it. He didn't get any charges for the arson. The two people who did it did go to prison. He also got away with impersonating a CIA agent. And he got away with the first kidnapping and with the second kidnapping. He was acquitted for that because of some mental defect, which, I mean, obviously he has problems, but he still kidnapped her twice. B was court-ordered to go to a mental facility, which he was there for six months. And then they released him. So at least that's something, but B gets away with everything! My God! And Jan's still at home with her family. Mission still hasn't been completed, so she's getting a little worried. It's getting pretty close to the time she turns 16. Jan is getting close to turning 16. The closer it gets to her birthday, the more she's starting to question the mission. And she actually wants to go away to drama camp. Her parents are nervous about it, but they decide maybe that's a good idea. And thank God for Brigham Young University drama camp. It's the only time you'll ever hear me say that. But it gets Jan away and it gets Jan to see that it's okay and there's a world that exists without the alien mission and without B. And she starts making friends and she even starts liking a boy there. And she's kind of getting a glimpse at the life that she could have. And then her 16th birthday rolls around and nothing changes. Everything's fine. I should say she believed in her alien mission so much that she was going to buy a gun to kill her sister Susan with and herself in case the aliens showed up because she had failed the mission and the aliens I guess were going to take her sister Susan and her because they're both half alien. B really went all out on this lie. I mean he created such a bizarre reality. But Jan believed it, and she believed it for four years. From the time she was 12 until the time she was 16. That's how much he twisted her brain. And she couldn't talk to anybody about it, because if she did, there'd be consequences. And she didn't want to hurt her family. And so then finally, she turns 16, her birthday's great, nothing weird happens. 
The Earth is still standing. The aliens don't show up. And she finally tells her sister and her best friend about the alien mission. And then she tells her mom. I mean, the whole time, the parents had no idea this was going through her head. And she had to keep that secret for years. So, of course, that was keeping her connected and closer to B than anyone else in the world. This is why he's such a master manipulator. A very sick, sick person. I mean, the lies are just so out of this world. No pun intended. I mean, I know there's aliens, but he also lied about being a CIA agent. Who knows what he told those guys that he had set fire to Bob's business. Yikes. Jen comes clean to her whole family about the alien mission. And the family comes together over it. Her family is very accepting. Even though they're super trusting and very naive. There's also a lot of strength there because it helped them get through this horrific ordeal together. And I was so glad that Jan was still alive and told them all the manipulation B did to her and got that out in the open. Finally. And they could actually support each other. And I think that's what helped them get through all of that mess. B is just so evil. I mean, he tried to destroy a whole family just because he was a pervert. Years later, Jan and her mom, Marianne, write a book about their experiences in hopes of helping others. And they go around, do book signings. And B is having none of it. He shows up to protest what they wrote in a book, says they're making it all up. He even distributes flyers around the town that he knows they're going to make an appearance at that showcase all their quote-unquote lies about him. I mean, this is when I said narcissistic abuse and they show no remorse ever. That's B to a T because he's still going after them and so Jan files a claim against him for stalking and they have to go to court so she has to face him in court 30 years after seeing his face and all that manipulation and that's horrific to have to face him again after everything he's put her through but she does it And she's very brave about it. And he shows up. Jan was a guest speaker in Southern Utah at Dixie College. And she had security there. She had Baca with her, which is Bikers Against Child Abuse. It's a great group. And B showed up. One of the bikers recognized him and B was driving a van. The biker said, that's him, that's Birchhold, let's get him. And I guess the biker jumped on the hood of the van and fell off and B drove over him or hit him. 
and then B was arrested. He did have a gun on him. So he was arrested on three felony charges and two misdemeanors. And he was going to have to go to court. And he told his brother if he has to serve one day in prison, it'll kill him. And so then B decided to kill himself and he committed suicide. Wow. Wow. It's just such a sad story. And I applaud the Brobergs for coming forward and sharing their experience. And they do say at the end of the movie that six other women contacted them and told them that they were also victims of B. Who knows how many other ones there are. He did serve one year in prison for a charge of rape. That's it. One year. Ugh, so disgusting. I have to watch cartoons or something to cheer up after all that. Hey, that's Realitiki. Next time I'll try to have more of an uplifting movie to talk about. But thank you for tuning in. I promise I won't go a whole other year without an episode. And try and make more of these short and sweet. I'll make it easy for me and easy to listen to as well. So I'll be back soon. Take care, everyone. <laughs>